Well, good evening. Good to see each one of you here for our Wednesday night revival service. Amen. Let's stand together. Turn to page 380. Page 380. Revive us again. We'll sing all verses as we begin our service together tonight. Sing out together on that first verse. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. We praise Thee, O God, for Thy Spirit of light, who has shown us our Savior and scattered our night. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again, O glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and hath cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Revive us again. Amen. Amen. What a blessing. Sure glad you're in the Lord's house uh, tonight. I was going to say I hope you had a restful day, but being we're in revival, you probably had a lot of spiritual warfare. Amen. Uh, but sure thankful you made it a point to be in God's house uh, once again uh, tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm still chewing on last night. And uh, man, what a blessing. And just, uh, man, I'm telling you what a great uh, message uh, last night was. But sure looking forward uh, to tonight. Let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Ask God's blessing on our services tonight. Brother Jim Wisdom, would you lead us in a word of prayer tonight? Amen. Won't you be seated uh, tonight? Don't really have a lot of announcements. Of course, we're right in it. We're not uh, doing our buses and kids' classes tonight. And then also, uh, we're not doing our uh, prayer list and, and uh, our missionary letter uh, tonight. We're just going to stay focused on the revival meeting. As far as I know, there's not too many uh, updates and things like that on the prayer list anyways, but just continue to certainly pray uh, for folks, but uh, did want to just mention if you have kids in Faith Baptist School, we started our half days today, and so uh, of course tomorrow and then Friday they'll be dismissing at noon, and then looking forward to uh, as we finish up and conclude our meeting on Friday night, seven o'clock, 
uh, Saturday, uh, get some rest if you can, and then Sunday, looking forward to a good day in the Lord's house. And so we'll get back started uh, in our ABCs at Christian Growth and Sunday School. And then Sunday night, Brother, Brother Jack Parker, our missionary to Japan, is going to be preaching and uh, trying to kind of get him uh, in the pulpit and preaching and getting him ready because he's getting ready to go out in January, amen, and uh, starting a deputation. And so uh, be much in prayer for that, but be in your place. You don't, you start missing Sunday night and Wednesday night because you got all these services in this week. You didn't get revival, amen. So be in your place and looking forward to what God uh, has for you. So, Okay, brother, come on ahead tonight. Let's continue singing from page 320. Page number 320, I will praise him. We'll sing verses 1, 4, and 5 together. Let's stand together again on that first verse. When I saw the cleansing fountain Open wide for all my sin I obeyed the Spirit's wooing When He said, Wilt thou be clean? I will praise Him I will praise Him Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give Him glory, all ye people, for His blood can wash away each stain. Blessed be the name of Jesus. I'm so glad He took me in. He's forgiven my transgressions. He has cleansed my heart from sin. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. Praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give Him glory, all ye people, for His blood can wash away each stain. Glory, glory to the Father. Glory, glory to the Son, glory, glory to the Spirit, glory to the three in one. I will praise Him, I will praise Him, praise the Lamb for sinners slain. Give Him glory, all ye people. For his blood can wash away each stain. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and have our men uh, come tonight as we take up the offering. And again, uh, just just wanted to mention that anything that's not marked as ties and and missions each night will go to be a blessing to the man of God. And so, boy, he's been sure been a blessing to us. Amen. And so want to make sure that he doesn't have to pay for, you know, airplane tickets and food and things while he's here and make sure to be a blessing to him and, and send him back. Plus, we support him anyways. Amen. And uh, as a church planner. And so we want to sure be a blessing. Brother Steve Parker, would you pray for us uh, tonight?
won't you be seated uh, tonight? Certainly, if we're going to have revival, we have to do what that song says and surrender all. Amen. Let's turn to page 348. Thank you for that special. Page 348, stand with me one last time. As the deer panteth for the water, we need a thirst after the things of God. Page number 348, let's sing it out together on that first verse. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship thee you alone are my strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and I long 
to worship Thee. You're my friend and you are my brother even though you are a king. I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. I want you more than gold or silver, only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield, to you alone. May my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. Amen. Great singing. You may be seated. Just before the message tonight, Ladies Trio is going to sing a special. stood beside the gates of heaven waiting to go in and he wondered how this holy place could take a man like him with shouts of great rejoicing and with music in they came of the angels standing by him he asked what could be their name these are the company of prophets the goodly fellowship of souls who spake god's word with faith and boldness who bless the poor his knees and cried I am not one of these he waited till another band of shining ones drew nigh they entered into heaven with a hallelujah cry he asked again, who are these? Can you tell me whence they came? He seemed to see the answer in a burning tongue of flame. The 
agony of martyrs, the mighty fellowship of saints, who knew our Lord and walked beside Him, who ran the holy race and did not faint. Oh, He fell upon his knees and cried I am not one of these then suddenly a multitude was heard from far away their voices rang with songs of joy like children at their by Jesus was the one who led them all. Who are these? He almost shouted at the angel. These are the sinners saved by grace. The host of them who called upon the in blood and justified by faith and oh he leaped up from his knees I can go in with these I can go in yes I can go in I've been washed in the blood Everlasting life to win. I can rejoice. I can lift up my voice. I can sing. And I can go in. I can rejoice. I am redeemed. I can lift up my voice. I can sing. I can. tonight amen well if you're not washed in the blood you can't but you can be before it's over with tonight amen what a blessing well, brother ted come on ahead brother and preach the word man take your bibles if you would turn to first thessalonians chapter four with me tonight <clears throat> had a wonderful day got my ears moved amen wasn't easy. I tried about four different barber shops, amen, <laughs> and finally found one that could get me in. But uh, also spent some time today preparing for our services, and we do appreciate your support. It's a blessing. We are moving into a building that we are actually going to rent. This is new for us, amen. And so I was coordinating some of that today, coordinating our soul winning on Saturday, getting ready for that. I'll be getting in early enough. We'll be able to be involved in the evangelism that's going on down there, and so we're excited about that, and uh, got to do a 
short lesson with my preacher boy today, I'm teaching him hermeneutics and uh, proper rules of biblical interpretation, and so he's just eating it up, amen? And uh, so we had a good time this evening right before the service. I did want to mention uh, the books. I know that they're, you see them back there, but I wanted to mention just what they are. Some of you probably know this, but this one on the Waldenses is the, these are ancient Bible-believing Baptist people uh, who suffered to the tune of about 25 million of them were slaughtered for their faith. Um, the Waldenses are the ones that literally would walk across Europe two by two, and uh, they rebaptized Europe out of Catholicism in the dark and Middle Ages. And uh, my wife and I had the privilege a few years ago going up into those Koshan Alps and uh, going into their cave church and the place where they trained the Barbas and walking on those rocks where there were literally little babies cast from those precipices. It was a, a heart-wrenching, uh, just a very sobering visit that we had up in the Koshan Alps. But that book is back there, and if you ever wondered what happened to the churches uh, after what we read in the Bible and then all the way down to England and America, uh, that gives you a good sketch of at least one of the groups that God uh, used to preserve his scriptural truths in. And then this one is American Foundations Laid by the Baptists. It's pretty self-explanatory, and uh, my contention is that uh, the Baptists made America great in three distinct areas, and I outlined that, and I use a lot of documentation in both these books. But this little book has a ton of documentation, and it's not just make-believe. It's not just the slant of a Baptist on American history. It is literally the history that has been hidden from us. And uh, we begin with John Clark, who picked up liberty and sailed it across the ocean and entrenched it. Uh, into the fabric of the colonies and the Portsmouth Compact and then the Rhode Island Charter. And uh, we go on from there to the Virginia Baptist and John Leland winning the First Amendment for us. And uh, just on from there, the greatest revival in American history was the Baptist revival and how we got our Bible belt and then the military influence of the Baptists as well. And so all of that is there. Uh, this video, we've seen a lot of this this week. Um, I brought a whole pile of these. Uh, get, the attendance, I guess, was higher last year on the preachers. So um, he had me bring 75 of these. Can I just tell you, I don't want to take these back home with me. Amen. But uh, we normally sell these for 20 um, I think I had a daughter who didn't own, sold them for 25 at one time, but that's irrelevant. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they are $5 while we're here. This is a two DVD set, and I promise it'll be a blessing to you. It is a tour that we conducted in 2011 of the Imprisoned Preachers of Virginia. And somebody was telling me they started it today, and we're watching it before they came. But uh, nonetheless, that is back there, and it's just $5. So I wanted to mention uh, those just briefly. Take your Bible, if you would, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and... I never know what God wants me to preach until the Lord shows me. And so I did not come in here with any uh, presuppositions. I had nothing planned other than just to mind the Lord. And uh, I feel like last night was kind of a teaching lesson. But uh, from every, all the feedback I had, apparently that's exactly what we needed. And I want to continue tonight. And I want to preface this by saying that if you do take notes, I would encourage you, excuse me, to take notes tonight. I think this is something that uh, last night's message, some of these truths I'm bringing you, uh, you know, really, when, you're, when you have the opportunity to preach a revival like this, and I was an evangelist for, for decades, but uh, I try to bring messages, uh, really, that have been a help to me. Uh, if God showed me something, that's always going to be more powerful as I deliver it, uh, because I've been to the woodshed and God taught, taught it to me when he first showed it to me. And then when you prepare the message, he takes you to the woodshed again. Then when you deliver it again. And uh, so these are truths. Some of them I've preached for years, but I've found that uh, these are some of the things that have helped people the most. 
And uh, this message tonight, I really believe, has been a great benefit to a lot of people. And I'm asking you, please, to pay close attention as I try to lay this out. And the reason I say that is, kind of like last night's message, when I introduced the subject, uh, you might say, well, yeah, I know all about that. Here we go again. Uh, But I want you to please listen with an open heart tonight. And let me try to establish uh, these truths that God has given to us. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I want to preach generally tonight on the subject, we'll narrow this down a little bit, get more pointedly, but I want to preach in a general sense tonight on the doctrine and the practice of sanctification. Uh, It is a doctrine and it is something uh, that happens on the inside and there are many externals, like for example when uh, the loss of a loved one, God uses that to sanctify us. Uh, When we hit hard times, God uses those things to sanctify us, to make us, to mold us. But I would submit to you that there are some things that we must do uh, that, that, are, that is absolutely incumbent upon us to engage in the sanctification process. And what happens oftentimes in churches is that as long as we are there for the three, we've got the five to thrive. You've all heard that. And uh, we do these things and everything will be fine. And a lot of times we're missing exactly what God would have for us. Uh, in the subject of sanctification. So that being said, I want to try to bring this to you tonight. I hope it'll be a help. Please pray for me as I try to preach. I want to read five verses, comment on these, and then we'll have a word of prayer. First Thessalonians chapter number four. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you. We beg you and we prod you, is what he's saying. By the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk, and to please God. So what he's in essence saying is this, everybody wants to walk the Christian life in the proper way that will please their heavenly father. So like if you want to have a successful, I'm not talking about in any externals, but if you want to have a truly successful Christian life that pleases Christ who died for us on the cross Calvary, like if you want to give him the due reward for his suffering, if you want to somehow try to pay him back for all he's done for you, and you want to truly glorify God, Notice what he said. He said, we beseech you that as you have received us how you ought to walk and to please God. He said, I want you to go on even further so you would abound more and more. Now, how on earth are we going to do that? For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Now, we can talk much about categorizing the will of God. Uh, certainly, uh, God has a, uh, a general will. Everyone he wants saved, everyone he wants baptized, everyone he wants to be a church member. We can go on from there. But then there's a specific will of God for each one of our lives. But understand this, uh, we don't have to argue and wonder. There's sometimes God just says, don't even debate this, don't wonder. This is the perfect will of God for your life. And this is one of those instances. He says, for this is the will of God even your sanctification. So let me get this right. If I'm going to please God, as I have been taught, I'm going to continue to please Him more and more and walk the right Christian life, I've got to understand that God's will, His plan for me, the steps He wants me to take, what He envisioned when He saved me and expected me to do is to know the will of God, and the will of God is sanctification. So when you just kind of marginalize sanctification because I don't even know what that $57,000 word means. I've heard it all before. Folks, we have got to focus on this because a lot of people in our churches are absolutely missing this. He said, why? That ye should abstain from fornication. 
Now mark this down. Either you are going forward in the sanctification process, or you are being tormented, tripping, and falling in sexual sins and lusts of the flesh. I didn't say it. This is what the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Ghost, said. He said, the reason is that you should abstain from fornication. It's very easy for the devil to mess us up with lust if we're not being sanctified. I'll get to what that means in a moment. He said that every one of you should just do what their pastor does and they'll be fine. (laughs) Doesn't even say that in NIV, amen? He said that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. That's, you know how to possess your vessel. I learn how to possess my vessel. Why? So that I can please God more and more and do the will of God so I can walk the way I'm supposed to walk and that God can look at me and be well pleased with my life. And so in order for all that to happen, verse 1 through 3, I've got to know how and learn how to possess my own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Again, it's sanctification or it's backsliding and it is lust. I'm going to deal tonight with this subject of sanctification. I want to break this down and get very practical tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we need you tonight. Lord, help me to be calmed down. You know my mind's going a thousand directions. I just feel just full tonight of what you have for us. Lord, please help these young people first to get a hold of these truths that they may avert disaster, that they may build upon a foundation, Lord, that is secure, that they may truly learn at an early age what it means to be in the perfect will of God and growing and changing and being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we know the devil hates this type preaching, these meetings. So I beg you, Father, the Lord, you rebuke him. We dare not, but Father, we ask you to rebuke the devil, bind him away from this place, and may the Word of God have free course tonight, give us liberty to preach, and I pray you'd get every ounce of glory, help there to be no spirit of slumber in the church tonight, but may there be just attentiveness and a yieldedness to the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to remember we're just your dear children. May we sit at your feet tonight and glean from you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to deal with a doctrine tonight that is extremely foundational to Christianity, to our Christianity, to your life. And yet what I've found over the years is that it is mentioned, the word is thrown around, but it is very rarely talked about with any depth. And it certainly is not taught to the degree that it needs to be. And I fear that a lot of people have been saved for a long time and really have no idea just how important this doctrine is and just what uh, it encompasses. There's so much to this. I want to try to bring you as much as I possibly can tonight. But I have this terrible burden that what we have emphasized to the exclusion of what biblical sanctification really looks like is we have emphasized what believers do. Amen? So like the five to thrive, that's what we do. Amen? And sanctification, rather, is what God does inside of us. Amen? Now there is an element there are some things that we must do. We'll get to that in just a bit. But, uh, you know, a lot of people have just taught, uh, regardless of who you are on the inside, as long as you're doing the right things, and I know that's not our crowd, and I know that's not our camp, and I know, generally speaking, that's not our churches. There's been a crowd out there, as long as you're working your finger to the bone and doing things externally, in essence, without even saying it, what they practiced was, you can be a whoremonger, you can be cheating on your wife, you don't really have to read your Bible as long as you're doing these things. 
things and you are a good Christian. I want to say, folks, uh, that is an absolute disaster. As long as you're doing what's externally expected of you, you think you can think or live or uh, you know meditate on whatever it is that you want to. See, this is the key reason why so many people have even stood in pulpits and have tried to teach us what to do and how to do it. And there's so many how-to books out there and there's so many things. You'll have a big church if you just do this and all you got to do is just do that. And I want to just remind you tonight, if we would focus on who we are and God does, it does matter to God who you are and what you are on the inside, amen, that has been completely excluded, then God would be able to use us because we would be filled with the Spirit. We wouldn't have to have men tell us what to do and how to do it because the Spirit of God would be leading us and showing us exactly what His perfect will was for us. But a lot of these guys, as I was mentioning, they've fallen into sin. You'll see them teach and preach and do all this stuff. And the reason is because they were brought up under the same mentality. Work your fingers to the bone. Never take a vacation. Sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. And as long as you're producing bodies, bucks, and buildings, as long as there's nickels and noses, as long as we've got this amount of people and next month we've got that amount of people and you keep on growing physically, everything's okay. And then over and over and over we see them fall into sin because the focus has been completely outward instead of inward. Now don't think me a hard shell Calvinist. Amen. I'm the farthest thing from that. In fact, I'll tell you that John Calvin was a murderous villain. Amen. And his doctrine is dastardly. And his doctrine came from the Catholic Augustine. Amen. And uh, uh, I'm just going to get off that because I'll get stuck there. Amen. Let me just say this. If I had one Calvinist hair in my head, I'd tear it out, throw it on the carpet and stomp it into the carpet just for you tonight. Amen. So I'm the farthest thing from that. But listen to me carefully. I believe in doing, okay? I believe that. In fact, I'm going to be doing it again on Saturday. But the Lord is concerned with who we are on the inside. This is the will of God. If you want to please Him and walk worthy and please Him more and more, you have to be sanctified. That is what our opening text told us. Now I want to try, if I can, just like I did last night, to try to define some terms. What is Christian sanctification? First of all, in a general sense, and most people would give this definition, it is the setting apart of the believer unto God and unto His purposes. Amen? Now, let me just say, there is a positional sanctification. Amen? And that is when God has reconciled us to Him. We're in a different position. We're in a different relationship. We've drawn nigh to the one that we completely could not possibly approach unto before through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's positional sanctification. That's a done deal, praise God. If you have truly been born again of the Spirit of God, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. We are eternally secure in the Son's hand and the Father's hand. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll in no wise cast us out. And we are secure in that. However, there is also a progressive sanctification. And although positionally I know that one day I'm going to be in heaven, God is concerned at who I am and whether I'm growing and being conformed to the image of His Son on my way to heaven. Amen? And this is what we often call progressive sanctification. What is progressive sanctification? I alluded to it in an earlier message, but it's simply this. It is a process. 
It is a lifelong process. It starts the very moment that you got saved. So like these people out there, it's like, well, I got saved in between swigs of beer and nothing ever changed. I highly doubt you got saved by the grace of God. It is not the end of, of your quest in life to try to find how to please God or get to heaven or climb your stairway to heaven. Look, when you get saved by the grace of God, that's when the potter takes the clay, puts it on the wheels, and begins to work in your life. Sanctification starts the moment you get saved, and it is carried out all the way until we see Him face to face someday. So it's a process. In this process, it is the Spirit of God using the Word of God to transform the believer's entire being until they totally reflect the person of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me clarify. None of us will be totally perfect like Jesus until we get to heaven. Amen? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody in here who believes sinless perfection and you just needed me to touch on that again tonight. Amen? But look, folks, I'm here to tell you we are never going to be perfect until God completes that process and that will be, praise God, when we see Jesus. Amen? Now let me mention very quickly, the change God wants is an incremental change. And this is a forward movement being conformed to the image of Christ so every day I should be moving closer to the image of Christ. Every day God has a portion which he desires to change me. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, until finally the totality of it, in eternity, praise God, will look just like Jesus. But the process is going on right now. Now let me clarify something, lest somebody gets confused here. This process is not automatic. You can stop it. You can stop it and go the other direction. You can blaspheme God. Count the blood of the covenant as an unclean thing. Trample the Son of God afresh. You can backslide and go into wicked, ungodly sin. And by the way, if you can't sin after you get saved like some people teach, why is it that three quarters of the New Testament tells us how to get right when we do sin as believers? What would be the point of having a New Testament if you can't sin after you get saved? And so listen, this is not automatic. So what I'm saying is this. Just because you sit in church every service, praise God you do, that doesn't mean you're being sanctified. Just because you do A, B, C, or just because of your age, or how long you've been saved, or how many times that you've been through your Bible, or whatever the case may be, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are moving forward in the sanctification process. I'll give you an illustration. I knew of a young man, and he had gotten saved. And uh, he was saved out of a lot of wicked things. I mean, he was doing drugs, and he was drinking, and he was, you know, smacking them all around, and just doing all these terrible things, wicked as could be. But he got saved by the grace of God, and he got into church. And you know, all those things he used to do, they just begin to fall by the wayside. And within six months, you saw a completely different person standing before you. I mean, he was being sanctified by leaps and bounds and heading towards the image of Jesus Christ. However, after six months, he still was struggling with the cigarettes. Now, if I mentioned everything he quit, we'd be here all night. But he still was struggling with cigarettes. You know, nicotine is one of the most addictive drugs that the devil ever invented. I'm not giving him a pass. I ain't going out living under the Old Testament law, setting up a burnt sacrifice after the service. I'm just telling you it's a reality. I know it because I used to chew snuff and smoke cigarettes, and I understand the difficulty of it. 
But he walked into church one morning, having quit 756 different things in the first six months, grown by leaps and bounds. The pastor was excited. The church was fired up. And some old mossy back deacon got a burr up under his saddle. He wasn't getting all the attention. The new convert everybody was excited about. And so he got a whiff of smoke on that young man and he went to the preacher and publicly threw a fit with a loud voice and said you know that young man y'all are bragging about and you know that young man you prayed it up there on the stage he said he smells like cigarettes today now let me remind you this man had been in the church for 50 years probably hadn't read his bible in 49 and a half of them Never showed up for soul winning. Tried to run every business meeting, tell church how to spend all the money, and he never gave any money, amen. But he loved to throw his weight around, and he loved his title. Now you tell me, my friend, which one of the two is being sanctified? Just because you've been sitting in church 50 years, and you can spell sanctification backwards, yodel it, yodel it in Chinese, praise God, it doesn't mean that you are being sanctified. It's not automatic, amen. And so guess what? It's for everybody in here. And just because you've been off the wheels for a while doesn't mean you can't get back on them. Amen. The Lord knows where each one of us is at. Now, younger may be closer to God than older. Amen. There's, uh, of course, types in the Bible, people that are young and anointed. Amen. And dumb old men. Now, I'm not trying to pick on old people tonight. Let me just say this. I'm getting closer and closer. You know, they say when you hit 60, amen, I'm not there yet. But, you know, the idea then is, man, I'm as old as old people now. Amen. It's kind of hard to hide it. Amen. But guy came to his boy, and his boy said, Dad, you know, this and such, this guy said this to me. And he said, why didn't you say anything back? And he said, well, I try to respect my elders, you know. He said, you know, they've got wisdom. And the guy, his daddy knew how dumb the old guy was. Amen, just what a troublemaker was. He said, can I tell you something, son? He said, dumb people get old too. I just want you to understand that. Just because they got gray hairs doesn't mean they've got a ton of wisdom. Amen? I have no idea why I told you that. Amen? I don't want you to sit here and think you heard it all before because you haven't heard it all before. And if you have, then you ought to be living it. Amen? So let's see. Now, let me just say this. I believe all of us need this so desperately. Just imagine right now if God gave us an image. Suppose we had a pie graph for every person in here from heaven, hand-delivered from the Lord. Throw it up on the PowerPoint and suppose, for example, your name would you know, stream across the bottom and your pie is going to show up, and the, the percentage of sanctification in your life is going to show up in red, and the rest is all just going to be white, right? So let's start with me, and then we'll move on, and we'll go through every person. Now I'm going to show you, we're going to start with letter A, because I, I always got picked on in school, amen? I had to be the first in line, clean up and all that. Letter A, I hated having Alexander as my last name. But just imagine I come first and then we just move on to B's and C's and, and the Lord has just delivered us a picture, a pie graph of how sanctified we are right now. And after about a minute or so, you say, Preacher, do you need help getting that working? Oh no, it's been working. We just can't see the little skinny line. Let's magnify that and see if we... I'm telling you folks, there's so much carnality in our churches... 
We do not realize how holy and how good and how wonderful. I'm not trying to discourage you, but I'm telling you, if you think you're like 99% like Jesus and this message may get you to 99.5, you are sadly mistaken, folks. We, you've got to understand what the standard is. I'm not the standard. Your pastor's not the standard. We're a bunch of creeps like everybody else, amen? I'm just saying, we are just peons. Jesus Christ, the holy, perfect Lord of glory is the standard. And I think all of us would crawl under a pew and hide our face in shame if God really put up publicly how much we lack sanctification. There's a lot of times, ask my wife, I don't act like Jesus. Amen? Now I want to share something with you. Go to Jeremiah chapter 18. I am not going to stay here long because I can't, but I do want to just illustrate this, that the Lord is so concerned about sanctification that he actually practiced it with his Old Testament people as well. So this is not just some obscure doctrine. I want to start in the Old Testament. I want to walk through and illustrate how important this is. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 1, the Bible said, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. Let me just tell you the process. The process is that you and I were an old, hard, gray lump of clay, sitting over in a box somewhere, the devil's box, going nowhere in a hurry. Our life would have been absolutely meaningless and taken no proper form or shape. We would not have been usable. There would have been no functionality to our life. We'd serve no purpose whatsoever. What a shame for people to live 70 years and not even know why they're here on this planet. Man, yes, the, the pains of hell is horrible, but just to think to wander around this planet and then go to hell and not even know why you existed. But he take, takes our lives and he places them on the wheels. And, of course, the potter's wheel was like a lathe that had belts and a pedal on the front, and he would pump that pedal, and as he would pedal that, the, the belts would go, and that spindle would begin to move very, very fastly, and he would begin to shape and mold and make our lives into something that had a purpose to it, something that would bring the, the potter glory, something that had a functionality, that had beauty that would draw attention to it, you see? And as he began to work on that, the Bible said the vessel he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Now, folks, here's where we're at tonight. How many times do you think you've been marred? Once or twice? Again, this week? I'm just saying, and so what does marred mean? That I can picture a big, beautiful vase and all of a sudden it crumples over under the pressure. There's something hard in it that, that the Lord's trying to pull that rock out and there's resistance to it and we're just not pliable and we're not yielded to the hand of the potter. But the Bible tells us, thank God for sanctification, He made it again, another vessel has seemed good to the potter to make it. By the way, I see nowhere in here we get to vote on it, Amen. Lord, here's what I'll do for you. No, uh, God makes us as he wants to make us. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, so he goes down, he looks in physical potter, sitting there, real live clay, real live, uh, working on the lathe, all of those things. And now God says, you know, this is really a metaphor. This is really a picture of my people. In verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, 
O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. So Israel was not pliable. Israel was marred. And God wanted to remake them and remold them. He said, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. So God wanted to remake them and remold them into what he wanted them to be. Now I'm going to show you one of the most astonishing statements in the entire Bible. Look with me, if you would, at verse 6. If I understand my Bible correctly, the great creator God of the universe is begging his people for them to yield just so he can work in their life. He said, oh, house of Israel, cannot I do with you? Would you please let me work in your life? Would you allow me to mold you and make you? You're all marred. Please let me work in your life. So he comes down and condescends to men of low estate, suffers on Calvary. Then he goes above and beyond, folks, and he is pleading with us through this Old Testament text tonight. Will you please just let me do what I want in your life? You will make a mess of it and be marred. If you don't yield to the potter, that's the Old Testament. Take your Bible and go to Philippians chapter number 2. I want to establish, and we are going to get to the message, I promise. Amen? Amen. But I want to establish in our minds tonight that sanctification is not a side issue. It is the will of God that you know exactly how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Philippians chapter number 2, look in the New Testament, and notice if you would verse number 5 with me, of Philippians chapter 2, I know these verses, just they're married together, it's hard to separate them, but I do just want to hit this just for sake of time tonight, that's verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, so let means yield and allow me, now here's what God is not saying, okay? He's not saying, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. Let me spruce up that old mind of yours. That's not what he's saying. What God is actually saying is, allow me to completely remove that mind and replace it with the mind of my son. Let I'm putting his mind inside of you. You've got to let me put the mind so you think like Jesus and you act and you talk and you have the same desires and you have the same spirit and the same attitude. He wants to completely replace my mind with the mind of Jesus Christ. What do you call this? You call it a major sanctification job. Amen? John chapter 17, we find what, what Paul taught there. Now go and let's look what Jesus said. You know the scripture here, but let's just look at it in, in the context of what we're, we're dealing with tonight. John 17, 17. I'm going to have to hurry tonight. Look, if you would, to John 17, verse number 17. And what was Jesus' desire for you and me, his disciples? He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Did you know that Jesus prayed for us? Amen. You know what he prayed for? He prayed that the Father would say, he said, make them just like me, Father. Make them like the Son of Man. Transform the believers' lives until they are like me. This is what Jesus desired. Now, very quickly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, it gets quite weighty here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As we begin to find out exactly what the scope of sanctification is, inspired scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
Notice verse number 23. He said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's not holy in reference to holiness. God's attribute of righteousness and perfection and impeccability. No, this is completely. And the very God of peace sanctify you. Paul says, this is my desire for you. That the God of heaven would completely sanctify you. Watch this. And if that wasn't enough, he'd understand how complete this is. He said, and I pray God. Paul the trichotomist, as the Father is a trichotomist. Uh, we are body, soul, and spirit. We reflect the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not a two-part being. We're a three-part being. And he includes all three parts in this. And I'm saying sanctification encompasses the entirety of the being. I pray, God, your whole spirit, and you could say it this way, and your whole soul and your whole body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Here's a fact. He's going to complete it someday, but he wants us to yield and let him do a great work right now. Because the world needs to see something different in us. They need to see little Jesus Christ walking around. That's what Christians were. They were little Christ. They looked like Him and they talked like Him. And they taught His doctrine and they followed Him. Amen. And you and I are supposed to have a sanctified life for the glory of Almighty God. Very quickly, take your Bible, go to Ephesians 4. The New Testament, the Old Testament, they all show us how complete... And how urgent it is that we submit to the sanctification process. Now we have talked about the externals and what God does. God pulls me through some knot holes. Amen. He allows some problems to enter my life and difficulties. And through them certainly he is making and molding me and teaching me faith and dependence and a variety of different things. But did you know there's something you have to do too? And it's not just as vague as let God. It's much more pointed than that. In fact, it is extremely pointed. In fact, it's so practical, I think it may shock some of you tonight. There are some things. In other words, there are steps of sanctification. I don't like to use this terminology, but let me say it this way. There is a formula for sanctification. And I hate, you know, every book you read, here's the key to this, and the key to Christianity, and the key, and so I don't like the word formula, but it is a very proper word, it's very fitting to what I'm about to show you, because the Bible gives us a formula. And I'm glad that God makes it simple, and puts all the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody can get one, amen? And so that's what we find here. There are three things I would submit to you that every believer must do, we, did we not see that this is for everyone? That every believer must do every day in order to have the portion of sanctification for that day that God desires. So if there's 365 days, let's just break it down in 24-hour periods, and uh, God uses the, the days in the Bible, so let's do that. So if there's 365 portions of sanctification or change that God has for us for the next year, amen, then listen to me very carefully. Every single day, there are three things I must do to obtain the portion that day. Say, where are you getting this in the Bible? You're fixing to see, amen? Look in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to look with me to verse number 22. Ephesians 4, so how do we possess our vessel in sanctification honor if that's the will of God? Here's how we do it. 
Ephesians 4, verse number 22, I'll read down through verse 24. We'll back up and slow walk through these verses. He said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I want to walk you through the three steps that every one of us must do every single day if we desire to be changed like God wants us to change. Now, number one, every single one of us, every single day, must put off. If you're taking notes, let me give you three words that will help you remember this. It is repentance, confession, and forsaking. The believer should be well aware and acquainted with the doctrine and specifically the practice of repentance. We should not shy away from it. It's not a one-time deal when you get saved by the grace of God. But if you never hit an altar, if you're never by your bedside apologizing to God, if you're never saying to God what he says about your sin and asking for forgiveness, my dear friend, you are not going to be sanctified. The very first thing that Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that we must put off. Look at your Bible very quickly. He said in verse 22 that you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man. Can I just tell you, a lot of the temptations we have, they're the things that we used to do. The ruts of sin that were so ingrained in our life, it's easy to slip back in the rut. You walk into a store, there's the song you used to like. You walk down the street, there's the filth you used to look at, and so on and so forth. And so the Bible says that every single day we must put off concerning that former conversation. We must repent, confess, and forsake it, which is corrupt according to the deceitful. As you say, why put off the old man? He's corrupt. And the old man lives according to the principles and wickedness you used to. And God wants you to live by a whole new set of principles with a new perfect vision to see the glory of God and do the will of God. So we must every day. So you really do this, preacher? Absolutely. Every day when I pray, I come clean with God. Not bragging, I'm just telling you why. Because the Bible tells me that I must. If I am going to be what God wants me to be here and now, thank God I'm going to be when I get there. But if I want to please Him more and more, know how to walk, do the will of God for my life, be sanctified, I have got to go before God and confess my sin to Him with the heart that is aimed at forsaking. Let me talk about that for just a minute. That is what real confession is, by the way. I remember when I surrendered to preach, I'd been running from the call to preach. And I never will forget, when I surrendered lock, stock, and barrel to God that night, I got on my knees and said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, he had knocked the slop out of me. And I never will forget getting up off my knees. And I literally, man, if he'd have said walk off a cliff that night, I'd have walked off a cliff. I was completely surrendered to God. But listen to me. I had this idea that now that I was, quote, surrendered to God in that moment, that I was never going to have a sin problem again. I thought, man, this is awesome. I'll never sin again. Everything's just going to be wonderful. Are you listening to me? I had a heart that was aimed at forsaking, see? And by the way, this doesn't mean you're never going to sin. That next morning I woke up and I was literally so excited, I was bebopping, amen? I was just not even paying attention. I started to walk down a set of concrete steps and bam, a big concrete cross member smacked me right in the forehead. You know what happened? Some words from that old guy came out just for a second. And I was in shock. 
I stood there and said, man, how could this be? And I came to the reality that even though you're saved and you surrender today, that old man's going to constantly be trying to creep his way in. And I was shaken back to reality that I was not going to be able to live a sinless life. Amen. And from that day to this, I have struggled with sin. But can I tell you something else? I still have a heart that says this. And I mean this. I never want to sin against him again as long as I live. Will you, preacher? Yeah. But look, if you don't have that heart, that's the heart that believers need to have. We need to picture him suffering on Calvary. We need to be reminded of who he is and what he did. We need to consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself constantly. It'll give us a heart, my friend, to say, I don't ever want to sin against Jesus again. Keep that attitude. Because if you have that attitude when you do, you'll realize I've got to go to him and put it off. Do you have to put it off today? I did. Did you do some things wrong? Yeah, I did some things wrong. Guess what? Tomorrow, I'm going to put it off again, and I'm going to put it off again. Look in your Bible very quickly uh, to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. So we stop the action, we go to God for forgiveness and for strength to stay right, and when we confess, we are saying the same thing that God says about our sin. I used to go into the Catholic confessional booth. For those that don't know what that is, if you've ever seen a chicken coop, you're right there in the, in the ballpark. Amen? And uh, chicken coop with a nice piece of velvet hanging down the middle. And I'd go in there and I'd say, uh, Father, it's been thus and such since my last confession, and I have done this, this, and this. And I'd tell him a few things I did, never tell him even half of it. And he'd say, you know, for your biscuits, all your dominoes, and he'd speak in Latin and all that business. And then he'd say, go say 50 home mares and 100 our fathers. And so what I would do is I'd, you know, you'd blah, 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 and do all the things I did. Then I'd run out and I'd say those Hail Marys. And, and our, I mean, I could, I could flat, in about three minutes, I could have them all done. 150 prayers. I mean, to tell you, say, why did you, why did you do that so fast? Because the party was Saturday night and I'd do confession on Saturday night before I went to the party. Get my sin levels down. Right? That's how I used to live. I used to think I was confessing and it was just a mockery. But I believe there's believers, and I believe there's times since I've been saved that it was a mockery. You get down, you know you're going to go back to it. You already have decided you're going to go back to it. You're going through the motions. Everybody else is going forward. I'm saying we've got to engage our brain in this, folks, and realize we are wasting our time if we're not confessing with a heart that is aimed at forsaking that says, Dear God, I don't ever want to sin against you again, and I'm going to sin till the day I die, but I still want that to be the heartbeat inside of me. I don't want to sin against Him. Hate sin. Abhor it. Fight it. Root it out of your life. Beat it up every day. Beg God for help with your sin. First John 1, 9. I have to throw something out at you. Every day we must put off. <clears throat> Let me just say this to you if I may. There is a bonus in this sanctification process in every one of these points. For example, when you begin to put off... You are now getting back and engaged into the sanctification process. You're now doing step one. But that's not all the benefit of it. Not only are you getting that portion of change in your life, but notice 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 with me. And what I want you to understand is that there's a bonus to this, and the bonus is talking about revival. You've asked me to come and preach revival, and I just could not stop thinking about this today. There is an immediate reviving that takes place 
When you've been out of the process or never even heard or understood or knew the process and how it worked in your life, you didn't know how to possess your own vessel. Now you're starting to understand it. When you get in it, there's an immediate reviving that takes place. Through confession? That first one? Absolutely. Look in your Bible to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this interests me because we all preach this, that this is to a saved person. And I would concur, this is to save people, amen? But then nobody ever really wants to talk about that last part where it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let me just say this to you if I may. When we go to confess to God, I don't believe we ever confess all of our sin. I don't think we even know what they are. I bet you you woke up this morning, you either had a proud look, lazy attitude, you smirked at your wife, you're bitter about the way the coffee came, something happened, and then when you went to confession, you never even bothered to mention it. I would, I would just say to you that we are so wicked often, we sin a lot and don't even realize it. I mistreat my kids. I, I, I say something smart to my wife or, or whatever the case, or just have a wicked fleeting thought that's gone. I've not dealt with it. There it is. But let me tell you how awesome it is when you have a true heart that is, that is aimed at forsaking that sin. When you go to God with genuine brokenness and you truly want to be forgiven, God forgives you of the sins that you do mention. And the reason the last part of verse 9 actually exists is to let you know that when you're broken before God, He knows that we don't have brains that are you know, uh, computers and we remember everything or even know everything we did wrong. But when your heart is truly aimed at forsaking, and broken before him he forgives you the sins you mentioned then he goes above and beyond that and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and if this were not the case none of us would ever be able to be filled with the spirit none of us would be able to get up off an altar and know that we're completely right with God we'd wander around biting our fingernails and you know whatever and, and you know just wringing our hands saying man I can't remember all my sins God is so gracious and merciful and when my friend we confess what we know and he, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness there's an immediate filling of the spirit of God you ever come to an altar you ever get right about what the message was you ever wept on an altar Got right about what the message was? You ever walk out, feel like you're floating on a cloud? You really want us to believe you confessed all your sins down there and you knew all of them? I don't believe hardly any of us ever do. But God is so gracious in our feebleness and our frailty. He says, if you will come and you will put off and you will confess and you will have a heart that's aimed at forsaking, God knows my heart and if I genuinely want to please Him, He allows me to be filled with the Spirit. Thank God for that. Otherwise, we would never be able to be Spirit-filled again. We'd never walk out of a church service saying, man, I'm just so close to God. It's so awesome to be right with God again. But He does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a bonus. Not only do you start in that process again, but you'll understand that spirit filling. And I want to say it may be a long time for some of you that you've been filled with the Spirit of God. You know, it scares me sad as Baptists are afraid to even talk about being filled with the Spirit. Amen? Because some tongue flapper down the road talks about it every service. Amen? Much I can say there. I've got to move on. Amen? This must be done daily. Putting off has to be the first part of this formula that is practiced in our lives every single day. Repentance is vitally important to every Christian's life. Go back, if you would, to Ephesians 4 
And let me show you the second one. This is how you possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Don't ever be afraid to go to God in repentance. Do it every single day. Keep short accounts. Thank God while we're driving down the road, if there's a sinful thought, I can confess it right there. I don't have to wait. Amen. But notice, secondly, not only do we put off, but the Bible then tells us to put in. And how does it say that? Notice what it says in verse number 23. He says, put off that old man, and then verse number 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I call this putting in. Why do I call it that? Let me give you the three words for those that are taking notes. Read, meditate, memorize. Read, meditate, memorize. So it's like this. I've put off that old man. I've confessed. I've repented. God's filled me with this spirit. My heart genuinely doesn't want to sin against him. He knows that. I've said the same thing he says about my sin. And then immediately I say, Lord, I've been in wrong paths. Now, Lord, show me the right paths. God, I confess that, but I want to know now what the path is, and I have to put in. We've looked at this, but go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. You've been to this passage, and by the way, it's just so rich. It has so many different diverse applications. But I want you to notice, in light of this, how do we renew the mind? We talked about this in reference to humility, remember? Pride, verse number 18, but we all, every one of us with open face, beholding us in a glass, that's the word of God, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. By the way, that's why we say, read your Bible every day. That's why we say, don't miss services, amen? That's why we pass out Bible reading schedules, because there is an incremental change from glory to glory, service to service, Bible reading to Bible reading, and and again, the externals, trial to trial, there's this process, and God wants us in this, but there has to be a putting in of the Word of God. Lord, I'm sorry I lived in wrong paths, show me the right paths in your book. Take your Bible, go to Romans chapter 12 quickly. Romans chapter number 12. Let me ask you a question. Do you do these things every day? Because you and I are supposed to know individually how to possess our own vessels in sanctification and honor. Romans chapter number 12. I know you know this uh, passage of Scripture, but I want you to go there with me. Look, if you would, to verse number 1 and 2. And I want you to realize also there is another bonus as we get in the process. Not only do we get into the process through point number one, there's an immediate reviving, but notice there's another bonus as you begin to get into the process. Notice verse number uh, one in uh, Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, that's a begging, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the way, if you don't understand the, the, the old, whole, I guess, architecture of this verse, what Paul did was for the first 11 chapters He stacked up the mercy of God. He stacked up and thoroughly taught salvation nine different ways, contrasted it with the law, showed how glorious it was, the freeness of it, the free gift, chapter 5, free, 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 over and over, all the way. So he stacks up all the mercy of God. Then he says, now based on all this mercy God had in your life, I'm begging you, based on how merciful He has been and had presented His body, that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable 
unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. Now, what am I talking about? Putting in, renewing the mind. Watch this. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That's sanctification. How? By the renewing of your mind. That comes, of course, 2 Corinthians 3.18, by the mirror of the Word of God. The renewal, the sanctification comes through the Bible, so we're not to be squeezed into the devil's bottle. We're to be transformed into the image of Christ as we renew our mind with the Word of God. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's bonus number two. This will blow your mind. Preacher, I am gripping the pulpit in the exact spot in the universe where the God of heaven wants me to be standing right this moment. Not even a doubt, not wondering, not wishing, not hoping. I am standing right now in the perfect will of Almighty God. Not because I'm good, smart, had a great plan, or whatever the case may be. But look, a believer who is submitted to God, surrendered to God, who's in the sanctification process, as he's renewing his mind and putting off, and then later we'll see, putting on the new man, as he's doing that, he gets the privilege of pillowing his head and saying, thank God, I'm in the perfect will of God. There's a peace that comes with that, a joy that comes with that, a stability of heart that comes with that. So as you get in the process, the second bonus is you can know that you're in the will of Almighty God. Say, why does that matter? Because a lot of people have no clue. They really don't. They don't know how to find the will of God. They've never been in the will of God. They don't know what the will of God is for their life. And I'm simply saying, how can I know that I'm in God's will? How can I have that peace? Only by being in this process. I must daily put off. I must daily put the word of God in. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 with me quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. I like God. He gives out gifts and bonuses. Amen. Last night we saw he gives a crown to a bunch of undeserving heathen like us. Amen. And now the Lord says, if you'll just learn to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, you'll put off and put in and put on, then I'm going to give you some bonuses. Amen? Ephesians chapter number 5, and notice what your Bible says in verse number 25. Now watch this. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. <clears throat> Let me stop right for a second. Look up here, please. If I was to ask you right now, or 15 minutes ago before we turn to this text, don't be looking at your Bible, look up here. If I was to ask you, give me the reason Jesus died on the cross, what would you say? Save sinners? To please the Father? To fulfill all righteousness? What would you say? Now all those things are true, but there is a major reason that we miss, and I want you to see what it is. I'm going to tell you a major reason why Christ suffered and bled and died and was buried and rose again. He said, husbands love your wife and as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, the church, on the cross that is, that he might sanctify. Wait a minute. He gave himself on the cross to sanctify the church? He sure did. His suffering wasn't just about keeping you out of hell. That is a selfish, man-centered religion that stinks in the nostrils of God. Amen, preacher. Listen to me carefully. We want the benefit. 
Christ died so that he could save us and make us living epistles so that he could live through us and speak to people and use us in his plan. Notice what it said, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of the water by the word. Put in, what does that mean? means renew your mind. How does he sanctify? With the washing of the water by the word. Now notice this, uh, that he might present it to himself. By the way, I'm not going to get into the fact that chapter divisions and verse numbers and all this. I thank God there's addresses in the Bible. Amen. We know they're not inspired, but I think they're largely correct and in the right places and all that. But I'm just saying the flow of this text does not stop in verse 26. So you could say Christ gave himself to sanctify the church that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Christ died on the cross, yes, to save sinners, yes, to fulfill all righteousness, yes, to do the will of the Father, but he died on the cross to sanctify us, amen, you're in a scriptural church, I'm in a scriptural church, also so that one day he can present us, to, present us to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. My friend, his reasons for going to the cross were more than just keeping us out of hell. Had everything to do with changing me today. The power of the cross to save is the same power of the cross to change and to cause me to know his will, live in his will, turn from the old man, put the word of God in and desire to live that out. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Let me move on. Go back if you would to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. We must put off verse number 22. We must put in Verse number 23 and verse number 24. And then we must put on the new man. And that you put on the new man. So I'm not sure what new man looks like. But I was a bit confused. Well, he's after God. Uh, he's, he's, he's being recreated after the model of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying the new man's recreated like God is over here as the pattern. And the potter's over here making us just like God. Amen. So that's what the, what the Bible says. So the new man is like Jesus. Amen. It's being, it's, it's being created after the pattern of God. Notice this. Uh, put on the new man, uh, which after God is created in righteousness. And then note these words, true holiness. So we know God's righteous. We're supposed to look like that, act like that, talk like that. By the way, can I just, uh, I misspoke. This is not acting like a Christian. You need to go out these doors and act like a Christian. We need to stop acting. We need to start letting him live through us. That's the difference, folks. Notice this. Righteousness is true holiness. Now, whenever I see something with a qualifier such as true holiness, that to me always makes me wonder, ha, huh, there must also then be a false holiness. So again, this is not for me to walk around and say, look how great I am, or carry a six-by-three-foot King James Bible just to prove how much I love Jesus. Amen. There is a true holiness, a holiness that truly desires complete submission to Christ, allowing Him to live through me, where all my works are done for His glory, in His power. Because I've got news for you, at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a lot of people mistaken who have done a ton of good things in their own power and for their own glory, and even the very motives, my friend, the dross is going to fall away, and they're going to be left with nothing, even though they've done many works. 
It's got to be done for him in his power. We can go out and serve in the arm of the flesh. God's not pleased with that. Are you listening to me? So we must put on this new man who is created, being recreated like God himself, which brings us to a true holiness, and that's a wonderful thing. Let me give you three things to think about here if you're taking notes. This is walking in the Spirit, three words, focus, dependence, and discipline. What that means is there's no point in me confessing and repenting and going to the Word of God if I then do this. Well, I guess I'll just go out and give her a good try now. That's not how it works. Take your Bible very quickly and let me illustrate this to you in Colossians chapter 3. And I'll tell you, folks, I've failed at this so many times. I pray that this will make a genuine heart difference inside of us. Colossians 3. Notice, if you would, verse number 7 through verse number 10. By the way, so I don't see where these, uh, these, these three things are anywhere else in the New Testament. This might be a stretch. Look at your Bible. In the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. That's the old man. But now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man. Well, what about that new man? Did he just read his Bible? Did he just check the box? No, this guy has been renewed in that knowledge after the image of him that created him. It would be wonderful if we all prayed when we open our Bible, Holy Spirit, speak to me. But it would also be wonderful when we close our Bible, Heavenly Father, help me to live this. So we don't just go to the Bible and, and, and put this in and, and then close it and then attempt to go live like a new man. What we do is we say, Lord, I've been in wrong paths. Please forgive me. God, show me the new paths. Show me Jesus. Speak to me. And when he does, then we say, okay, thank you, Lord. I think I'm going to tuck this in here now and I'm going to go out and live the new man exactly what you showed me in the book. That is the sanctification process. It is a putting off, a putting in and then putting it on as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please, in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Does this really matter? Well, it is the will of God. It is a major reason your Savior suffered on Calvary was to sanctify you holy. It was Paul's prayer and it was his desire. It was Jesus' prayer. Amen. I think it's a pretty big deal to the Lord. So notice if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, here's your nutshell. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, that's day by day, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He said the inward man is constantly being changed. We're getting that incremental change that the Father wants us to have. So this walking in the Spirit, this putting on the focus, dependence, and discipline, we are trying our very best to depend on God so that we don't lose the Spirit filling. So that we don't have evil thoughts. So that we can actually walk in the Spirit of Almighty God and continue to please Him. You don't have to sin every three hours just to prove you're human. You can actually have the Holy Spirit control your mind and keep short accounts 
with the heavenly Father when you do sin. This is where we seek to keep His fullness in our lives and try our best by His grace never to grieve Him. Now let me throw a few things out at you. If this process, these three things, I didn't write them. I'm just a news, newsman, newsboy. Amen. I just brought you the news this, tonight. This is from the Father. You short circuit this, revival will not come in your life. There's no way around it. If you have sin and you're moving through this revival, continuing in that sin, and you will not confess it, revival's not going to come in your life. If you think you can do it just by, you know, the husks that's being thrown by the preacher, you've got to get up to the table, you've got to get yourself a big old spoon and fork, and you start feeding yourself, amen? Open the Bible. Get back in the Bible. If it's lost its excitement, if it's lost its luster, it's not because the Bible got worse. It's because you are backslidden. You need to ask the God of heaven, please give me my zeal and desire. Let me see the Bible like I used to. Remember the day after you got saved, you couldn't put it down? Remember when you first got born again, you wanted to witness to everybody? Oh God, give me back that first love for your word again. I want to share something with you. And I hope this will be a help as I lay this out. Let me take some time to develop this. I met a preacher years ago at a meeting. And I had a bus that we used. And, of course, ours was the family bus. Amen? It had scratches on it. And, you know, inside it was beat up. And, I mean, it was decent. But this fellow pulls in, and he was kind of a semi-retired preacher. He used to shoot six-shooters and do things, stunts and things and tents for kids and did all kinds of children's ministries. But as he got older, he decided what he wanted to do was he wanted to travel the country and just help churches out. And so he decided, he was very mechanically inclined to say the least. He was one of those guys I love to hate because he can do stuff I can't do, amen, and has all the tools to do it. But, but he, he, he decided he was going to get a facility to drive around the country for him and his, his wife. And she had given her life to the ministry and... Uh, you know, he just wanted to be a blessing to her. And so he decided what he was going to do is he was going to get an old shell of a bus and build it. So he went to a junkyard and he knew exactly what he wanted to get. He got an old MCI. I think it was a 72 or 73 or 71 bus. But he, he went to the junkyard. And when he went to the junkyard to, to purchase this, he knew where it was. And he found it and he located it and he went there. And as the guy was taking him back, he said, Sure, he said, honestly, he said, you don't want this. It's a piece of junk. And, and the preacher said, well, he said, but you're just seeing what you can see now. He said, I've got a vision for this bus. And if you could see what I can see, it'd blow your mind. And so he said, okay, you want it, you got it. And he paid a few thousand dollars. And he had this put on a big old flatbed and they hauled it out to his house, Wyoming or wherever it was. And he, he put it on his big old uh, slab out there and he began to do a work in it. And he went inside this bus and there was a, a lot of junk in it that he knew he didn't need. So what he began to do is he began to tear the seats out. Tear all the junk out. And as he began to tear some of those seats out, some came out rather easy in this process of change. And some it was like, man, there was just somebody underneath it holding them on. They just didn't want to come out. But he knew that they all had to come out, so he fought with them and wrestled with them, and he ripped every last seat out of there. When he ripped all the seats out, it became evident before he got halfway through the job, the floor's got to go too. Because why? Because that's a part of the old schematic, and it serves no purpose in the new purpose and, and with this new bus. 
And so he began to tear out every morsel of the floor. How many of you know the old song, the floor bones connected to the wall bone? He took the walls out, amen. The ceilings went out. And you know what he began to do? He began to go in there and repipe and tool the whole thing. He put a plumbing system in what was a passenger bus. He put in there, you know, uh, uh, electrical, and he put heat in there, and he put an air conditioner unit, and he went through and he redid all of the floors. He redid all of the walls. He went ahead and even had curved cabinets that went down through the hole inside of the bus. He was actually a master craftsman. If you'd have seen this bus, you'd say, oh, absolutely, there's no way I could ever do this. He went in and put soft touch, squishy leather ceilings in the whole thing with these gorgeous buttons on them. He had can lights for his wife and a leather love seat over here with the partition dividing it from the rest of the bus. He had a brand new fixtures in the bathroom, brand new shower, brand new living room, brand new carpeting. Everything was all brand new in the whole entire thing. But just imagine had he done all that and then you walk outside and say, man, there's something wrong here. He knew that once the inside was changed, it absolutely had to be reflected. Any craftsman knows this, on the outside. And so you know what he did? He made a fatal mistake. I am a navy blue man, but he painted it candy apple red. I mean, buddy, that thing glistering in the sun. If you went to a meeting where he was preaching and you rounded the top of that hill, you could see it about a mile away. It was just there like a big old beautiful tomato. Amen? Here's what he said to me, preacher. He said, don't you judge me. He's about fixing to tell me how much he spent for his chrome package. He said, this is my last hoorah, brother. He said, he, he put chrome trim around the windows. He had chrome bumpers on. I walked around this whole thing and I'm just like, wow. Oh my, oh wow. Oh, I mean, that was, I was the whole time shocked. And when I first walked, he said, hey, preacher, I want you to come down and see my rig. Of course, he saw mine, amen. I began to park behind the bush after that. But he, hey, preacher, I want you to see my rig. And so I went down there, and uh, I looked at this, and, and I walked inside, and I, I saw everything. And let me tell you what I did not do. Nor has anyone that has ever seen this awesome, beautiful, custom rig that is just off the charts. I didn't say, man, I've got to go get my wife. I can't believe that bus did that to itself. That's just, no. I said, you did this? You did all this? No, you, you wired it. To, so you electrician, plumber, craftsman, cabinet maker, exhaustive, every, you did all the mechanics? He said, yes, sir. I just said, man, I just want to shake your hand. I said, there ain't no way I could ever do this. Now let me give you the application. To say that you and I are an old 71 MCI junk shell is really, that's kind of a great compliment. We were rebellious, lost, hell-bound sinners. And God, when He came to save you, no matter where you was at when you got saved, listen to me, if He'd have just looked at what you were and said, man, I don't want that piece of junk, none of us would be going to heaven. But you know what He did? Even when He was on the cross, He was dying to sanctify. He said, I see what you could be. Nobody else believed Nobody preached her to believe. They thought I was going to die and go to hell in a drunken stupor. Nobody ever believed Ted Alexander, the kid you don't want all your, you don't want your kids around this guy. The drug dealer, the fighter, the jailbird. I thank God he didn't look and say, Ted, man, you're a mess. But he said, I can see what you could be. 
And when I didn't have faith and I didn't believe, God had a plan for your life. So you know what he began to do after you got saved? He began to rip all the junk out. And yes, some of them was real hard going, weren't they? You didn't want to let go. There's some things I didn't want to let go of, but they had to. And they still have to because they're all according to the old schematic. And God's doing something new in us. And you say, well, man, I give all this up. Now he wants this. Yeah, he's down to the floors now. Yeah, but I'm beyond that. Are you on the walls? Because the ceiling's got to go. And then he's got to take all that rust off of the underneath. It's just a complete transformation in your life. But thank God that when he came to us, he didn't just say, man, what a hunk of junk and turn and walk away. What you are today, my friend, isn't what God envisioned when he got you from the junkyard. There's a lot of people who don't even want to hear about sanctification. It's a word the old timers used to use. It is the perfect will of God. Paul said, my hope and my desire is that God would sanctify you wholly. And Jesus said, Father, sanctify them because I died on the cross to sanctify them. Maybe you're on the floor tonight. Maybe the Lord's on your ceilings. Maybe you ain't done nothing but just allow Him to rip a seat or two out and you're just going to hold on to everything else. You will never enter into the full joy and blessings, the spirit filling. Can I tell you, you can take all the money in the world. For me to be able to say this without shame, I am standing on the spot the God of heaven put me. And I am absolutely, not crazy, I'm telling you as sober as anything. To have that peace, you have to let God sanctify you. You can wander through, I'm going to try this venture and I'm going to run off. So many young people tell me, I'm going to join the army, preach. Have you even prayed about it? Well, I haven't prayed about it yet. What in the world are we doing? Let God take over. Let God control your life. He alone knows what you're supposed to be. And He alone knows what I'm supposed to be. And all I can do is, every day, Lord, with all my heart, I put off. Lord, with all my heart, I put in. Oh, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And then, Lord, I'm going to put that in there and be renewed in that knowledge. And, Lord, let me put on so that when people see me, they can see. You know what I did do? I walked up to that man I said, and there's people that have done this to him. They, they seen his bus. They said, who did that? Amen. Isn't that what they're supposed to say when they see our life? How'd that change you? Well, my brother, the hellraiser, got saved. People's looking at him like, what happened to Bob? What happened to your brother? Who did that? Because there's people, I knew there was a God in heaven because nobody could have changed my brother unless there was a God in heaven. Are they looking at your life and seeing such a drastic change that they know there's a God? Let's pray tonight. Father.